This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the play on the show. The Mariners make it hard, Paul. Dude. The Mariners make it really, really hard. How many times this year have you been legitimately angry at them? Because that is how I feel this morning. I am mad. I am mad, Danny. They played a minor league baseball team that had lost 14 straight road games. And that team gave them every single chance that they possibly could to win. And, man, they just can't score. Oh, God, that was terrible. This is the first time that I've felt kind of repulsed or just like, ugh. I felt bad before, or I felt like, okay, they, they're going to run out of gas, or felt let down and disappointed in the circumstances. This was something different. This was something different. It's Danny and Galan. It is Wednesday, August 11th, and the Seattle Mariners, they lost last night in extra innings, and we could go into all of the margin of defeat, and it was 5-4. to four. None of that tells the story of this game. The story of this game was that the Mariners were gift-wrapped a win in the bottom of the ninth. The Mariners were... Facing a reliever whose last name was Patton, Patton pending, Patton down the hatches, proceeded to walk the bases loaded, then walk in the tying run, and the Mariners have the bases loaded with no outs, and they fail to get a run across. They fail, they they force extra innings. The only run that they score out of a bases loaded, no out situation comes from the reliever walking it in. So when they lost in the 10th inning, it wasn't even a, oh, that's a bummer. It was a, you deserve to lose that game. It was, it's the first time I've really been angry. No one deserved to sit through those three and a half hours of a game against a fake baseball team that has, again, been going out of its way to lose. You could argue they were throwing this 15th straight game. Maybe they had some money on it or something like that with all the walks, Danny, that you saw at the end of that game. And my God, you had the top of the lineup. You had the top of the lineup come up. J.P. Crawford can't get do anything. Mitch Haniger, what are you swinging at? I mean, those were all balls. You could have just sat there and let th- and let that poor sap Patton just continue to throw the balls. And on top of that, the, the next guy who came in too, he had control issues. I thought to myself at the very least, okay, well, you know what? Texas is going to end up blowing it in the next inning. And nope, then they score a couple of runs. Because you asked too much, once again, out of your bullpen because your lineup can't score. My God. Texas stinks. They are not a real baseball team. And I had to sit through, Danny, three and a half hours of that. Sorry, I don't want to. I'd rather watch Hard Knocks. I'd rather watch Outer Banks, which I've already watched. I would rather watch anything. I would watch the worst Nick Cage movie you could possibly think of. I'd watch Giggly with Benefer. When they got to the 10th, it's the first time in a while where I've actually turned on them and felt like, okay, you deserve to lose. That 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 was a new feel where that that level of okay that was so brutal to watch that was so difficult to watch the Mariners make it really hard. I want to make it clear I really like this baseball team. I like the players. I like the way it's put together. I like how tough they've been. But last night was the low point for this season, and the Mariners make it really hard because I'd even given my best rah rah speech to myself earlier yesterday about feeling good about where this season has gone, even if it doesn't end up in the playoffs. 
I'd done all of the big picture perspective building. I'd talked to myself about, I'd talked to everybody here about, I raised a flag for them at the end of yesterday's show. And the thought being that this team deserves, and they do deserve that. But for 24 hours here, I, th- I think I think there's a right to wallow. The Mariners make it really hard. The Mariners make it exceptionally hard because of games like that. Text in, Paul. Talk to me when it's been 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm comparatively very spoiled when it comes to the experience here. But, Danny, I, I think we're both on the same page. We've been very tolerant of this team. And they have given us a lot of moments of happiness, all things considered, this year. But there are certain games where you have to just put on the punching gloves, perhaps spike them, and you got to go to town. That team stinks. You should not lose games to that team. Guess what? You can't stop losing to this team. Texas is not a real baseball team, Danny. They don't matter. They don't, they don't matter. I, I, I don't know anyone on their team. What, Joey Gallo's on the Yankees now, right? So, yes, they got Garcia who keeps clobbering home runs. He's got 25 home runs, including four against the Mariners, one of which he hit off of Paul Seawald to, to, to push, push the Rangers ahead after it looked like Seattle was, was at, least, at least right there dueling with it. Like all of those, look, you're going to lose games to bad teams. That happens. Yeah. You're going to lose. You shouldn't lose three in a row to bad teams. You shouldn't, as a team that's that's played and is pitching as well as the Mariners are, you shouldn't have lost you shouldn't have lost nine of your last thirteen. That really shouldn't have happened given how good the pitching is. But then there are some just specifics of a game where all you can do is kind of grit your teeth and just say, that is infuriating. That was last night's loss. Yep, it that, was. That was, la- that, that was last night's loss. That one goes beyond saying, okay, we knew that they weren't going to be as successful in one-run games the rest of the season as they had been so far. The law of averages told you that that wasn't going to hold up. You weren't going to be able to, to go 23-8. and eight. You weren't going to win three-quarters of your one-run games, but losing five straight one-run games, that's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. Losing... Losing three straight one-run games to a team that is a triple-A count that stopped trying at the major league level. The Rangers have stopped trying at the major league level. That is difficult to tolerate. And let's be clear, it's awful watching a team that can't score runs. It is awful yep. watching a team that can't score runs. I'd rather watch a team that gets has its pitching staff obliterated than a team that can't score runs. I, I, I would I would rather watch that because at least you're getting to see some offense from your hitters. Consistently seeing a team, and the Mariners have been this way for two weeks now, that can't score runs is a specifically excruciating style of baseball to watch. It's been the majority of the season, but it's just been on full display, I say, in the last two weeks, as you just highlighted there, Danny. And, and this game last night is despicable and pathetic. It really is. There's no other words to describe it. You were gifted opportunity after opportunity, too. I mean, to me... To make a Game of Thrones reference, it's like watching Oberyn go up against the mountain. The game was over. I mean, that poor dude, Patton, they just marooned him out there. Ball, 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 ball. I mean, shoot, the crowd was even getting into it. They realized that he was only going to throw balls because he's terrible, and they just left him out there because they were like, yeah, we're the Rangers. I guess, you know, we're going to, you know, work our way towards that 15th straight loss on the road because we, we probably have some money on it. And, yep, nope, they... They, they somehow got out of that. How? 
How? It just seemed like they were about to score a bazillion runs in that inning. And, and look, okay, I'm not asking for much. You know, you're going up against a bad a baseball team. One hit. Just one. One, what, what, one. one hit. You have the bases loaded and no outs. And the only run you score is off of a walk. You have the bases loaded with no outs in a game that you're trailing by run. And, and the only run you score is off of an out. That's, that, that's excruciating. That's absolutely, un- unbelievably, there was a point, and I, I don't know if anybody else caught it. It's on the Root Sports broadcast. I believe Seeger's at the plate. I think the count is three and one. And there's a fan, and the camera captures him saying, don't swing. Uh-huh. <laughs> a, and the camera, clearly, and when I saw it, I was like, well, that's a coward's way to approach this. And I'm like, and totally the correct way, given how this inning is gone. Your best bet is just take, 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 and see if he gifts it to you. It's the Paul Gallant fourth grade baseball approach at the plate because he's afraid of the baseball, and he's just going to stand there and hope that he gets walked because that's the only place where he can do anything of value on the field. Oh, boy, man. Do we, do we want to put him in timeout? Yeah, let's see how long we can go without t- talking about him. Yeah. I'm, I'm feel- There's other stuff to get to. Let's get to front page news. This, this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. First, a Seattle Times report saying there is a stalemate between Jamal Adams and the Seattle Seahawks who have not talked in several days. Next, hot off the presses from Brady Henderson of ESPN.com, who, by the way, did a Sports Center hit yesterday from his boat. Oh, Hendo. Baller! He says that the Seahawks have given Jamal Adams an offer and they're waiting to hear back. What in the world is going on, Paul? Honestly, nothing, right? I mean, until these guys miss games. Are we actually concerned about this back and forth? Because otherwise, aren't we just carrying the water of agents and the Seahawks as they publicly negotiate against one another? Hmm. Wait, you think that you think that the story in the Seattle Times, which mentioned that Russell was willing to renegotiate his contract, is being carried oh, forth by agents? Oh, 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 I would never make such a bold declaration, Danny. I would never say that it's Mark Rogers trying to make the Seahawks look bad with whatever way he possibly can in a story that doesn't even involve Russell Wilson. No, I would never make that accusation. Did you follow the details of that? In which the Seahawks can renegotiate Russell's contract without talking to him. It's Correct. part of their... They, they, they can just do it. Now, teams generally don't just do those sort of things, especially to a, a good player. They tell them they're going to do it. There's this is there's no skin off the player's back. Like, there's nothing... There's n- Generally, it means that they get a big bonus check instead of a, a guaranteed salary. So they actually get the money sooner. It doesn't cost the player anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> but if you tell him, I'm willing to renegotiate the contract, you have the right to renegotiate with that. What benefit is it to tell someone that other than to try to make them look bad? That's- salary cap space is not the issue with Jamal Adams. No. Salary cap space is not the issue. That's that, that one has nothing to do with the other other than, yeah, looks like looks like Russell's agent is trying to make the Seahawks look bad. Cap space is honestly never really that much of a detriment in the short term. It is in the long term because you can write yourself a bunch of checks that all of a sudden then you have to pay the bill for, sort of like credit card bills, paying the minimum payment and not actually going with it. But yeah, this has nothing to do with cap space. This is entirely a matter of, hey... We're going to try to see if we can do something long-term that both sides can agree on. 
Mark Rogers and or Russell Wilson's court in that situation is sort of taking advantage of the fact that a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of the way that contracts are made and that salary caps work. And it's a little, I don't know, dismissive of people's intelligence. Do you think... Are you not worried about it? Are you of the opinion right now, that no. you're, you're not going to... i got a month until the season opener against the Colts, man. You know, it's it, there's plenty of time left. And unless they're actually going to sit out games, which I don't think Adams is going to, then I, I, I feel like there's nothing to really be that concerned about. We'll have more to talk about this. I, I do think there are things that are happening and th- that are interesting, but I can understand that approach as well. Until they miss games, or if they're going to miss games, Dwayne Brown and Jamal Adams, then all of this is an accounting battle as opposed to something that fans need to be really concerned about. The Front Page. Speaking of that season opening game on September 12th in Indianapolis, where the Seahawks hit the road, Carson Wentz and All-Pro guard Quentin Nelson had foot surgery In the case of Carson Wentz, Wentz was back at practice. He wasn't actually practicing, but he didn't have a limp. He did not have a boot on or other protection on his left foot. And it seems like Quinton Nelson also is feeling pretty well after a very similar surgery that he had. So there's a chance that both of those guys could be available for the Colts in week one. And if they are both available, Danny, I will no longer say that week one for the Seahawks is already a W. So... This came after finding out that Sam Ellinger was competing with Jacob Eason for the first-tier starter. Yes. Yesterday yesterday he was getting equal reps. Now it sounds like Wentz has got a shot, and some people are even expecting him to play. It's not good news for the Seahawks. However, that's going to mean that Wentz basically doesn't have a training camp and is going to be uncertain of how his foot feels. It's probably You'd probably rather face him week two than week one after he feels the full weight of that, but... This still is not an ideal scenario for the Indianapolis Colts. A long way from it. Yeah, I feel that at this point in time, you're going to see one of those two. You know, you're you're going to see at least Carson Wentz, if not also Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson. I wonder, of course, if there are any complications. I think you're right in taking a look at Week One as he feels that game out. How is he going to look? There's a chance that maybe as the game wears on that he feels worse, but I'm not a learned doctor in this situation. All I think is that now there is a possibility that Indianapolis can field a respectable team in that first week of the season. That is front page news. We'll get back to some of the contract questions. What exactly is going on between the Seahawks and Jamal Adams? In fact, the best guy to ask that is John Clayton, who joins us for the morning drive right now. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything. NFL NFL. from the professor John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor contract talks between the Seahawks and Jamal Adams have reportedly stalled. What's your read on the situation? Is there anything to be concerned about right now? Right now, no. I mean, again, it's negotiations. I mean, you got, uh, you know, Seahawks willing to go $16-plus million to get something done. 
Jamal's probably asking in that 17 to $18 million range. And so you may be a million dollars off and it's a matter. It's like, okay, you keep going back and forth and then ultimately you get some kind of a deal. I mean, it's like, I don't think Jamal Adams wants to turn down being the highest paid safety in the history of football. And so, uh, and naturally he wants to get the most money he possibly can. So it's just a matter of uh, eventually getting something done. But I mean, is it any different with TJ Watt and some of the other players that, you know, are trying to get uh, the big dollars? It just takes time. And you're in a cap situation right now where the cap's down 8% to 182.5. And and again, what happens with Jamal is not cap related because ultimately it'll probably shave four million dollars of cap room if they get that long-term deal so it's just a matter of time well professor i did read in the seattle times though that russell wilson's willing to renegotiate his contract if it'll help out the seahawks which i'm sure was a great relief to see oh that's super yeah that's great i mean it's like will they let russell wilson go i mean it's like uh they keep bringing it up you know uh if you know it's and again it's like uh you know russell if that kills any chance, gee, if they restructure his contract, that means they can't trade him next year because the cap hit's going to be too big. I mean, will they let Russell Wilson out of all these things? Just let him play quarterback. Let him pick up the new offense. Let him, you know, roll out, make the plays, which he's did such a great job so far in camp and also a great job in the scrimmage on Sunday. Well, well. Far be it from me to be someone who is suspicious or a cynical person, but I have a feeling that there are, I don't know, maybe an agent's trying to make the Seahawks look <laughs> Your bad. Your guy. I yeah. think it might be an agent who's trying to make the Seahawks look as if there's there's some sort of cash flow or cash problem, salary cap reason. Because as you said, the cap cap pressure would actually be eased by mm-hmm. an extension to to Jamal Adams. Right. So the the idea of renegotiating it, I think it's I think it's pretty clear it's somebody trying to make the Seahawks look yeah, bad. That's Mark Rogers. I mean again, Mark Rogers is, you know, the worst agent I've ever been around since covering the National Football League. And uh, you know, he he let's put it this way. I mean you, you talk about people who don't know the cap. Well Mark Rogers doesn't know the cap. I mean it's like you you can see that with the uh, four teams that he put out with the Adam Schefter for trade possibilities, if there was going to be a trade request. And so it's like, uh, he, Oh, he, he could go to new Orleans. Yeah. Right. I mean, they've had to cut $118 million just to get under the cap. Well, they'll be able to fit that contract in for Russell Wilson. So it's like, yeah, no, no doubt. It's like, you know, if you want something negative on the Seahawks, all you have to do is give Mark Rogers a call and <laughs> he'll leak it out. In this situation, Russ looks a little bit like a martyr for potentially taking less money, and the Seahawks, if they don't take him up on it, look like a bunch of incompetence, at least based off of that report. So, yeah, I think we're all on the same page when it comes to this. John, I'm curious how you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to feel about Jordan Love playing the majority of the preseason for the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, that's generally how it works for a lot of good quarterbacks. They Mm -hmm. sit out the entirety of the preseason this one, though, is a little bit awkward because it does feel like this is the last year for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I think he's fine because, again, it's like you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks not uh, play this preseason. Again, it's a different preseason because in the old days, two two years ago, I mean, you would have uh, you know the starting quarterback out there for 15 plays and then uh, comes back and you know maybe in the second game he's going to go for uh, – close into the second quarter and in the third game it's almost like a simulated game where he's going to go into the second half well now that's just not the case i mean this is a different era right now particularly with the pandemic and everything else and so i mean i think aaron Rodgers is going to like the time off and particularly i mean it's like 
he se- says he has nothing against Jordan Love. He has everything against management. So it's like, uh, I don't, you know, it's uh, it's just going to be one of those things that's going to look awkward, but it's not going to feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. John, you mentioned T.J. Watt w- with the Steelers. He's having a, a hold-in, similar to mm-hmm. Dwayne Brown and Jamal Adams. Are there any other hold-ins around the league? It's been harder to keep track of them because guys are actually present, and it's yeah. hard to tell. Like, is Deshaun Watson holding it? I don't think so. I think they're just not playing him. But no, are there it, other guys it, it, we Desha- should be watching? Deshaun Watson's uh, a hold-in because okay. uh, what he went out there for like uh, six plays the other day uh, with with uh, sh- shoulder pads and stuff like that, but he hardly didn't do anything. And then I think you know he's been inside the last couple of days, so he would be a, sh- a hold in. Uh, you know, and, and again, it's like uh, you know, a lot of the contract deals because remember when you look league wide, there's not a lot of deals getting done. These things mm-hmm. are very difficult to do, particularly you know with the rise in the cap coming next year and all that, and trying to figure it out has not been easy to do. But uh, no, there's there's not a lot of hold-ins, but there are still some. We saw yesterday that it looks like Carson Wentz, his surgery has not had any catastrophic setbacks. In fact, while he wasn't practicing yesterday for Indianapolis, he didn't have a boot on, he didn't have an obvious lymph. Maybe there is a chance that Carson Wentz gets to start under center for Indianapolis, which actually could make that game a little bit more daunting if it would than it would be if Sam Ellinger, who's getting first-team reps, along with Jacob Eason, were under center for the Colts. Yeah, again, it's too early to call. I mean, just because he's back in the practice field doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be back uh, five weeks after the surgery. And again, it's a five- to 12-week injury, and certainly things are looking good right now. But in the case of Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz, you can't judge it. And again, I mean, uh, the one thing... You know, I thought that the Seahawks got a break on when the schedule came out is getting Carson Wentz in his first game. Because, again, it's like uh, first games, you know, getting back with a new coach and all those different things can be difficult. And now, I mean, he's got no time to even work and practice with his team. So, I mean, first, let's see if he can get to uh, week one and see if he can even get on the practice field. It would be an interesting challenge. Uh, the Colts are a team that have kind of been in search of a quarterback. Phillip Rivers, now to Carson Wentz. They're messing around with Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger in the background. Quentin Nelson getting hurt. But I, I, I'm excited to see. They're a team that I think could go a lot of different ways this season. It'll be an exciting first game in that respect. Yeah, but also take a look at the, their opening schedule because they've got five games opening up against teams that won 10 games last year because you know they open up uh, against Seattle they got the Rams they got Tennessee they got Baltimore and Miami and so it's like uh, you know they they can't rush Carson Wentz because if let's say they do and let's say that the uh, injury starts bothering him again you know it's like all of a sudden they could be sitting there 0 5 so they've got to be very cautious about this. One thing we do know is that they did take care of Frank Wright and they took care of Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard being the general manager. Each of them got contract extensions today through 2026. All right, Professor, we always count on you for a bit of perspective and some good old-fashioned uh, uh, giving the business to Mark Rogers. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks. That is John Clayton. You can hear him in the afternoon with Wyman and Bob at 4 o'clock. You can also follow his work, 710sports.com. All right, when are we supposed to worry about Jamal Adams to Wayne Brown? I'm getting antsy, so I'm going to press Paul for an answer to that question next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. 
So, per the Seattle Times, talks between the Seahawks and Jamal Adams have stalled out. Two sides haven't discussed a new deal this week amid disagreements, Danny O'Neill, over contract structure and guaranteed money. When you heard that, what did you think? Because my initial reaction when I heard it's over structure and and, and guarantees, I was like, oh, dude, they're, they're hassling over punctuation at this right. point. Right. I figured they're close to the finish line. This means that they are, for lack of a better term, on the one-yard line. Although, in some instances, the payment of bonuses have become sort of this huge sticking point. Where Was it Herbert? I know the Chargers have had things with different players where guys have ended up holding out throughout all a training camp, like first round picks. That was Bosa. Was it Bosa where it was like, it was over offset language where I was like, Oh my God, like what a dumb thing. And, and actually I think the team was kind of dumb in that respect. So I get a little worried that, okay, if it gets to this point and all of the heavy lifting's done, but they still don't have a deal that they maybe have found something that they are, somebody's found a hill to die on which is which is what you don't want in this situation you don't want anybody finding a hill to die on in this thing maybe the seahawks are the ones that found the hill to die on because per brady henderson of espn the seahawks made another contract offer to adams this week they're just waiting word on whether he will accept it and perhaps that's that's the hill the seahawks have created a hill and they're saying all right jamal you can come up on this hill with us and hang out or you can continue to not get that contract, that big-time money that you've wanted. For what it's worth, having been out at training camp, Jamal Adams continues to look engaged. There was a nice play, and I was blocked in my view. I believe it was Ashari Crosswell who had a pick six for a touchdown. Afterwards, I saw Jamal Adams approach him, talk to him. He still seems like when he's out there, he's completely engaged. He's He's not affected by anything that might be taking place off the field. Maybe he's just an incredible professional when it comes to this hold-in. But whatever the case, I I don't get the read being out there, Danny, that things are particularly acrimonious. It's mainly when you start asking the head coach, Pete Carroll, about it. Here was what Pete Carroll had to say when asked when it might be time to worry about the lack of a Jamal Adams extension on Sunday after the mock game. At what point do you become concerned about the, the, uh, the rest of Jamal? I don't know. Why would I tell you that? I don't know. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> I love it when Pete has those moments where it's just it's just sheer honesty. Why would I tell you when I got upset? Where it's just like, yeah, it's, that's a fair point, Pete, because these these are struggles for leverage or to see what is sensitive. It changes it because the guys are here, right? Usually in a holdout, there's that when is that person going to show up? I think most people would tell you with both Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown, if they're here and ready for week one regular season, that's all that matters. Yep. Nobody cares if any of them plays a minute. Nobody really cares if they practice up until the week before the first game. I, you'd like to see Jamal Adams get out there. But if I told you right now, all right, he's going to be mad about his contract, but he's going to start practicing five days before the regular season opener. Are you okay with that? I think most people would say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They would never tell the team that, though, right? Because that's what that's what Walter Jones used to do. Three straight years, Walter Walter did not participate in training camp. He was a franchise tag player. He didn't show up. the The first year he missed two games. The next two years he would show up the week before the first game. And that was just how it went. If that's going to be the case with these, I'm not going to sweat it. 
the fear always is, and especially with Dwayne Brown, okay, he has missed games before. Yeah, he has he has decided I'm going to miss paychecks, and that's real money that a dude is 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 leaving on the table and not getting paid. So you kind of know that he's willing to go to the mat, and you're trying to, if you're the Seahawks, you're kind of trying to measure up of like. How serious would he be about missing millions of dollars, right? Not $50,000 a day fines, not any, like how serious would he be about missing? Jamal Adams, what, makes $10 million a year? So you're talking about him missing. If he misses a couple games, that's a million dollars. He hasn't earned that big check yet. Jamal, yeah. It's not to say he doesn't have money stored in the bank or he's destitute or something like that, but if he doesn't sign that extension, the odds of him saying no to a game check, I would imagine, are pretty low. And you can go through an entire 17-game schedule without giving Adams an extension because you do have the franchise tag option. And it's not like there's somebody else that's potentially coming off the books at the end of this coming season that you might need to use it on. Because this coming off season is when you can first start to negotiate an extension with DK Metcalf, which I imagine they will before he goes into the last year of his contract. But there's nobody really else out there that you're looking at and thinking, oh yeah, I might need to give that label to somebody. So when it comes to Adams, he's going to show up eventually. He might be less happy. And also there is the potential that if he's not at practice, that maybe there's a tight hamstring that comes up, or maybe there's an Achilles injury or something like that that takes place. But I feel like Adams will eventually be there on the field for the Seahawks. Brown is the big question mark, and Brown is the one that I don't really have a good read on because he has, as you said a little bit ago, been willing to sit out games over something like this. I feel like he's definitely going to be willing to do it again, especially at age 36, which he will be turning at the end of the month. I think if I'm turning 36 years old, I know pretty well, yeah, but I don't need to show up for practice. I don't need to necessarily show up to to games to get myself into shape. I know that as soon as I'm there, I'm going to be there. And if I'm not there, I'm going to make quite the statement considering where this offensive line has been and where it was before I joined in 2017. Let's outline what we know in both situations. With Jamal Adams, we know that he wants a contract extension. That's a desire that goes back to last offseason before he was traded from the Jets. So it's reasonable and understandable to think that he's got very high expectations for what that contract is going to be. He was a top 10 pick as a safety, which is extraordinarily high. He just set an NFL record for sacks by a defensive back. He, he's looking for not just top of his position market, but he's, he's, he's trying to push higher than that. We know that the Seahawks want to extend him. We know that the Seahawks have been pretty successful in getting extensions done with players that are at the top of their... Like when they decide they want to extend a guy, they usually get it done. Now, Jamal's decision here is going to be, do you take the offer from Seattle, which would make him the highest paid safety in the league, but obviously isn't as high as he would like it? Or do you then turn the offer down and say, I'm playing the final year of my contract and will then plan to be a free agent? Or do you say, I'm not taking the offer and I'm sitting out? That I'm, I, this is the, draw, the line in the sand. Those are the, those are the sort of three potential resolutions that I see. I don't think Seattle is going to tear up their offer and decide, okay, we're going to give him whatever he is. For Dwayne Brown, we know that Dwayne Brown has an, a contract left, one year left on the deal. He's turning 36. It is for a salary that makes him it's average for left tackles. Right. I think it ranks ranks 16th. 
we don't know if Seattle wants to extend him. And if Seattle doesn't choose to extend him or meet Dwayne Brown's asking price for the extension, then Dwayne has a question of does he sit out and to force that and potentially play just half the year and then prepare to be a free agent, which in his view, he likely would become a free agent after this season. Or does 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 he decide that okay, I'm mad about it, but I'm still going to play through this year and be it? like those? They are different situations. Jamal, there is a there is a medium road with Dwayne. I don't really think there is. If Seattle doesn't yeah. offer him a contract, it's basically is he going to be mad and play, or is he going to be mad and not play? Especially with no guaranteed money on his contract after this season. So we'll see what takes place with both of them. I, I I'll just say this: at this point in time, I don't think there is any reason to stress or fret over their two contract situations. There is still a month to go before the season, and any of these back-and-forth conversations that you see made light, or excuse, make it out to the light of day, they are being put out there because the agents are trying to have fear and fear-mongering do their work for them. It's Danny and Gallant. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Paul Gallant. The Seahawks offense has changed for Russell Wilson in a really intriguing way. You're going to hear how next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We talked to Ray Roberts yesterday. We're going to hope to catch up with him again later this week in anticipation of the Seahawks' first preseason game. Ray had something to say about Russell Wilson and about how he fits into this new offense that I thought was... It's something we've talked around for years. I thought Ray put it in a very straightforward and eloquent way about the transition that Russell needs to make as he's now a quarterback in his mid-30s or approaching his mid-30s and and prepares for the second half of his career. Here's Ray Roberts. I think this offense will allow Russell to be the playmaker and not be the play. Mm. Because I think um, being the playmaker means I'm going to get the ball to the dudes because you have all these weapons now. You can't say you don't have weapons. You can get the ball to the guys that can make plays. And so in that sense, you're being the playmaker because you're getting it to them. When you're the play, that's when you're holding on to the ball. That's when you're running all over the place. That's when you're all the off-script plays, which you you want Russell to still have that in his game, but you don't want that to be his game. One of the impressions that's always been had across the NFL about the Seahawks offense is that because of its simplistic nature, and this is going back to the Brian Schottenheimer days, it would allow for Russell Wilson to do a little bit of the extra things that he is so good at, extending plays. Because when you have so many plays that involve throwing the football down the field, if you have a quarterback like Russ who can also extend it, then things break down, they change, and that's how you find a guy like Tyler Lockett, who seems to have some sort of Vulcan mind meld with Russ, finding the exact right spot in the defense to be open, Russ finding him. But then after a while, when all of a sudden teams are better at containing or maybe one specific defense finds a way to keep those deep plays from being such a pain that they were maybe in the past, that's when this offense started running into trouble last year. So then you have to get back into finding ways to attack a defense quickly. And that's what I heard when I heard Ray say that, is that this offense does not... I guess, leave such leeway for Russ to do what he is used to doing and maybe has unwittingly become a bad habit for Russ. That often sort of lent itself to him believing, you know what, 
if I extend this play a little bit, I'm going to be able to make something out of it that the way it's drawn up originally couldn't actually get for me. It's been a huge strength of Seattle's. And there were points when I would argue that that's what makes Seattle's offense in some respects unstoppable is that you essentially get two cracks at every play. You get the play as it's drawn up and then you get the playground version. You get the play. And if that play as it's drawn up gives Russell Wilson an option and he takes that, hey, that's great. If everything's covered up, if the defense won that snap, well, Russ can get out there and do his twirly-whirly and extend and go off script. So you're essentially getting two cracks at every play, two ways for it to work. The challenge with that is, okay, teams are going to adjust to what you do to extend the play, right? We've seen teams adjust the pass rush. It's easier said than done, but when teams are able to slowly collapse the pocket, when teams are able to rush the passer without breaking contain, we've seen that. And here's the other part. Russ off script, that's not going to stay the same over the course of his career. No, it can't. Right? It, we already it, saw that it's changed. I, I think last year in a couple of games, you see that there are signs it's not going to be as easy for him. So if he is less evasive, if he's either less quick, able to cut less sharp, or if he's not as fast, that means that your off script attempts are going to work less frequently means you're going to suffer more of those big play sacks because when you try to extend it and it doesn't work, well, it's not a six-yard six sack because your, your protection blew up. No, it's 12 yards because you got run down as you were trying to create space and, and to run out of something. If you're Russ and you're now 32 years old and you're trying to navigate the second part of your career, if this is the start of the second half of your career, you're going to have to continue to be an efficient uh, exceptional franchise quarterback without having that escapability right like you're going to go from being one of the most having having the best maneuverability and best able to extend plays to a guy who is average or even eventually below average because there's going to be younger faster guys and that's what I liked about what Ray said, because I do think there is a mindset change. You got to start beating dudes with your mind and your recognition and your understanding of, of spacing and, and tendencies. You've got to be able to start getting the ball to the vulnerability that a defense has, identifying what a defense is doing to you and knowing how to attack it. Right. And I feel like they have in training camp at the very least found a way to get the ball rolling to, I think, maybe get Russell Wilson's brain away from some of the tendencies that I think that the last offense and maybe offenses before had allowed for him to, honestly, with great positive results, make a part of his repertoire. It's one of those things, because what you said is, that's been a strength. I mean, Pete Carroll said, and I, I will give him a ton of credit for this, we want to be the best scrambling team in the league. And they established rules for what receivers do when Russ runs the play. That there's some coaches that would have looked at what Russ was doing and said, that's too much off script. I like my plays. Run the plays as I draw them up. It, make the throw that I'm telling you to make. And, and don't, don't do the scramble stuff. Pete was like, no, that's one of the things he does best and embrace it. But it's an evolving thing. And you do have to adjust. Russell's going to have to adjust to being less maneuverable in the second half of his career. I really think that he has done that thus far in training camp from what I've seen out there. And I think when you go back to that little Peter King article that 
we discussed his observations from Seahawks training camp, how Russ is looking at this as a second half of his career. Maybe he really is looking at it as a second half of just the way that he is playing as a quarterback. I, I got to say, like, there there was one play, Danny, and, and we're not allowed to reveal details, even though, you know, people that go to training camp could if they so cho- chose. But there's this one play that they have been working on, and they have been overkilling it in specific spots. And the timing's been off. But the timing yesterday was not off on it. And it, it just feels like they're going back and back and keep on going to this specific one. And now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, you know what? Like, this play could be automatic in specific situations. They f- get the timing right on that. They get the timing right on a couple of other ones. And all of a sudden, maybe Russell Wilson is somebody who is just going to be getting the ball out after a three-step, dro- three-step drop on a routine basis. Our training camp coverage presented by Precore Home Fitness. We have Rasheem Green, who is going to join us at 830 from Seahawks training camp. Michael Bumpus in for Blue 42. That's next.